Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh! Run. Two on one. Green the finish. Wow, the alley Turned the corner. Inside! He made Yusuf Nurkic a screensaver. Here comes Murray. Alley up to Gordon. Oh, what a play! All right, joined now by my friend Justin Rowan of the Chase Down podcast. He's uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, as you could probably tell for for the alley oop here. Uh, Justin, thanks for hopping on, man. It's been a surprising kind of bounce back given all the injury issues, but the Cavs are they're hanging around, man. We're just talking about that before the show. We've been given all of the toughest tests uh, over yeah. the last couple of weeks, and, and we're surviving. I mean, they, it's been a, a fun, fun stretch. Um, you, you know, it's always controversial when people are like, can you really say we when we're, you know, referring to your favorite team? But the fact that, you know, we, we've got a partnership with the Cavs gives me an easy excuse there. So it is we. Yeah. I, I, I would be doing it anyways, but here we are. Hey, I love it. And most important thing is like you you have cultivated an audience that also understands that and is also like ride or die with you on that. So that's that's a good way to do it. And and like Damn you get right. to you get to live <laughs> or die on this stuff. And I'm sure it's been stressful with some of the injuries that have come across. But hey, 21 and 15 record. We were just chatting about this. They're tied for fourth somehow. I, I didn't really expect that. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it either. Um, it was funny because when we were looking at the schedule we were looking after the, the that week where they played a back-to-back orlando and boston on the road played a second game in boston and we said after that stretch like the schedule lightens up they've had the third toughest schedule up to that point they had the second easiest the remainder of the way uh this is when we should start to build momentum mobley should be back soon and instead of that we got darius garland breaking his jaw in that last yeah. game against uh boston and then within an hour of that being announced uh you had evan mobley uh who had loose bodies removed from his knee six to eight week timeline for that i, I know he's been doing some light activity um I, chris fedor had, had reported yesterday that garland's going to have the wire removed from his jaw next monday um so he hasn't been able to do any you know heavy conditioning uh obviously i would assume that he's lost some weight not being able to eat solids for a month uh so it's going to take him a little bit to to get in shape but for the most part they've weathered the storm and the funny thing to look back at just as like uh, a matter of perspective is last year after uh, 36 games, the Cavs were 22 and 14. This year they're 21 and 15. It's a one win difference with some of the worst health luck that they've had. It's wild. It's wild to see just going through the numbers here. Garland's missed 16 games. Mobley's missed 15. Donovan Mitchell's missed nine. Allen's missed five. Like that's, that's a lot of t- like that's it's your core four. That's the top guys. That's the championship vision. And I definitely think that like the only guys that have played every game for the team, it's funny, are Max Struess and George Yang, the guys that <laughs> you're very excited about bringing them in and very, very needed and necessary clearly over the course of this time. But Hey, seven and three in the last 10. It's hard for me to really break down like, hey, oh, they're 20th in offensive rating. What does that mean? They're ninth in defensive rating. What does that mean? Like, it's hard for me to like fully prescribe like how much that is valuable for a team that's been this injured. But for them to be hanging around, I think, is the most important factor. Just what have you seen from from the guys that have played every night? Uh, Max Drews, George Niang. Yeah, so the. 
going back to what you said about, you know, the, the season long numbers, when the injuries were announced, we basically said, OK, this is going to be a season where we're not going to be able to evaluate the team on those season long numbers. Right. Like it's just there's going to be so much context that goes into the season. Everyone's going to be able to pick and choose whatever angles they prefer. But uh, when you look at the guys that have been there throughout the season, um, Max Struess, I, I think comes top of the list in terms of guys that have been the most impactful from an on-off perspective. He's been the leader on the team. The shooting has kind of come and gone, but I do think some of that has been related to whether or not he's playing with a point guard. Uh, mm. you, you look at the games that he's played with Darius in the lineup and he's shooting 45% from the floor, 41% from three. And outside of that, it's been a lot worse because uh, he's got a, a season average of 35% from three, but uh, he's, found ways to make impact uh, across the board from his rebounding, his defense, uh, the gravity he has as a shooter. Uh, one of the unfortunate things about, you know, Garland missing time is Ty Jerome has been out with a high ankle sprain. Ricky Rubio uh, w- was out for the season and, and now has just retired. So yeah. uh, Max has, has been playing in a situation where he's had to put the ball on the floor and hasn't got a lot of clean looks, but um, this recent stretch where they played Washington twice and San Antonio finally getting some schedule relief, um, he was able to get some really clean looks and, and the shots went in as a result. So uh, I've been really, really impressed with their play. But I think the biggest thing uh, over this stretch has been the play of Jared Allen, because, mm. you know, as, as much as we focus on, on Garland and Mobley being out, the first stretch right after they were announced, Donovan Mitchell was sick uh, for, for four games and they went three and one over that stretch. Going three and one uh, without Garland, Mitchell, and Mobley, like that's the type of stretch that that can basically save a season uh, from a seeding standpoint. Absolutely, and I've always been impressed with Jared Allen. He's a workman. He is somebody who, like, it, no matter what the situation is, no matter how injured he might be, no matter what he's dealing with, that he just always brings the same level of physicality energy, intensity, doing the things that a good team needs to have happen, always rolling to the rim and doing so effectively and always protecting the rim doing so effectively. Uh, I I love what he provides. And just uh, anecdotally watching him in, in his matchups against Nikola Jokic and against Joel Embiid, like he's working his ass off. He is absolutely grinding. And that is the most important thing in those matchups is that you can't lose them badly. And he never does. Yeah, he's actually been like at his best when when you look at the these kind of premier matchups, and uh, he was great against uh, again uh, against Wemby, uh, really taking it to him. Uh, mm. Had his career high against Brook Lopez in a game where Cavs played pretty much a perfect game. They just couldn't hit any threes. Uh, I believe yeah. they were six of forty three against oh. Milwaukee, but but still managed to you know stick around and score effectively enough in other ways and. That's one of the encouraging things is you don't want to skew too heavy towards the Boston Celtics, where if the threes aren't falling, you're not going to be competitive. But Jared Allen, uh, without Evan Mobley, it's been 11 games now. He's averaging over 19 points per game, over 13 rebounds, over four four assists, two steals. He's out here playing like Frokic, and, and it's been a lot of fun to, to see, you know, the playmaking uh, develop for him, um, being able to run offense through him. And I think it's really important because when you look at last year, that core four together was outstanding on both ends of the court. As much as people, you know, over-index talking about the, the two big lineup, they still had a 122 offensive rating yeah. uh, as a starting unit. The question has always been, how do they operate when they stagger? If they do well in those minutes, that's going to make the biggest difference because Garland and Mobley without Mitchell and Allen, that had almost a plus 12 net rating last year. 
if you can get the chemistry going from Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen, making that lineup just as effective, it's going to help the Cavs play 48 minutes of elite basketball, which is what they're going to need to do if they want to still achieve their goals of advancing in the playoffs this year. It's interesting you bring up Allen kind of as that that playmaking fulcrum, because I was going to bring up Donovan Mitchell and the career high assists that he's having right now. I know he's had to I know he's had to soak up some playmaking opportunities with with Garland out especially, but it still seems like he's taken at least a little bit of a step forward there, a little bit more comfortable within the system. What do you tell us about the way that he has approached the absence and how he has kind of soaked up that responsibility? Yeah, I've been super impressed by Donovan Mitchell. Uh, earlier this season, I had quite a few criticisms about his play in the minutes without Garland. Uh, when you're staggering throughout the game, I felt um, there was just too much of a tendency to put the load on his shoulders rather than getting everyone else involved. And even if it's just a matter of, you know, um, running in the actions, giving the ball up and getting it back w- with a more quality look. There was just kind of an absence of that, and it felt like a departure from what we had seen last year. And recently, like, I, I really feel like he's been playing great team basketball. I feel like the turning point was actually that the game against the Lakers where the Cavs lost. Garland missed the second half of that game. Uh, and, and Mitchell down the stretch, there was just a little bit too much hero ball. You can't blame him for going hero ball at times because he's such an effective player. He's one of the best ISO scorers. He's clutch. Like, he brings all these things to the table. But there needs to also be that understanding that in order to consistently do that, you got to get everyone else involved. They're going to make your life easier. Uh, you're going to have more energy to expand on the defensive end of the floor. So I just feel like he's been playing much more balanced team basketball at a time where it would be really easy for him to kind of default to, all right, we're missing our, our second and third highest scores. Like, I'm, it's it's Donovan Mitchell time. He, he's been playing team basketball, and I've just been really, really impressed with, with his overall play. His defense has been really good in terms of effort. You know, he's still going to get lost every now and then off ball, but um, sure. has been accumulating a ton of steals, has been super active, and uh, just really been the, the kind of leader that you want him to be over a stretch like this. He's clearly an all-star, clearly one of those guys that that's going to be in that conversation year in, year out still, and that's I, I wonder whether that was a, a at least a question, just going to Cleveland and you're sharing some responsibilities and Evan Mobley's up and coming. But I still think that Donovan Mitchell's still still probably that guy. Um, no, he's been awesome. And and like like you said about kind of soaking up the the playmaking instead of trying to be the scorer, like that's a smarter player. That's a guy who understands Hey, I'm not going to be able to do everything. This is not the way to survive. Like I'll be able to get my points. That's no problem there. But the only way they're going to be able to win these games is involving other people and setting them up for success. So good on him for for accomplishing that. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I like it. I, I think that like Cleveland's still in a good spot. I know that the they're still going to be without Mobley for a little bit here. Garland, we'll see when when he actually comes back. But tied for fourth in the East, uh, there are so it is funny. There are five teams that are currently twenty one and fifteen, or twenty and fifteen, as we record this on <laughs> Monday. Uh, that is that's a wild grouping. Um, how important is seeding for this group specifically? When when we're talking about whether they can advance in the playoffs, what they're looking for, how important is the actual seed that they get? I think it's fairly important. Um, you know, the the higher the seeding theoretically the lesser of an opponent you're going to play but as you mentioned like there's five teams basically at at 21 and 15 so i I think you can make an argument that it's pretty balanced there and it might come down to you know just health and 
who managed to, to steal a game or, or prevent themselves from blowing a game that they shouldn't have won or shouldn't have lost. Um, but I, I do think it is important. I, I think you want to get home court again. Uh, obviously, it didn't pay off for them last year, but you would have had a harder uh, path if you were playing games one and two at Madison Square Garden. And um, I think the fact that they managed to stay connected as long as they have is really important. Um, you know, if Garland comes back by the end of the month, there's still going to be over half the season left uh, for the Cavs to, to make a push. And if they're in this range where, you know, they're two and a half games back at three, yeah, th things can happen. Like, you know, uh, teams ahead of them that have had basically perfect injury luck um, might have a stretch where, where they're going to have to go through adversity like the Cavs have had. So um, I, I think it, it definitely is very, very important. And man, it's unfortunate uh, the timing of the injuries because they they've had you know stretches now where they played New York twice in, in a two day window and we're we're missing Allen and Garland for those ones. Uh, you, you're missing Mobley uh, for the two games against Boston and then you play Milwaukee four times this month and, and are likely to be without Garland and, and Mobley for at least the majority of them. Uh, maybe Darius comes back for those last two in Milwaukee, but uh, it's frustrating to have that against you know teams that you're trying to overtake and, and trying to, you know, at least keep up with. Um, but I guess the, the plus side is Boston and Milwaukee are probably the less realistic ones to, to try to catch. Philadelphia, they, they only play uh, later on in the season. They got to win in their first matchup. Uh, you mm. hope that you're healthy for those games. And uh, I think when you look at Philly and New York, those are teams that even though they, they have more of a, a playoff track record, uh, those are teams that the Cavs should be trying to prove that they're on that level and, and potentially overtaking them yeah i think heading into the season i predicted that this team would be a three seed i thought that they could push for the one we've talked about them like this was a team that was going to be built to win the in the regular season injuries have disrupted that entirely there's it's it's probably not going to happen for a top two seed uh, but what I will say is that they could still push as high as the three. They could still get home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. And that would be extremely valuable, I think, as we mentioned. Um, no, we'll, we'll see what they do. Uh, a couple more here for you. How aggressive do you think they're going to be at the trade deadline? Because we've we've heard a lot of these conversations like rumblings around the national media about Mitchell specifically. And I know that that's not the way that the Cavs would like to go. They'd like to build around their guys and see how this goes. Uh, how do you bolster that? What do they have at their disposal? What can they do? I don't think they're going to be too aggressive at the trade deadline. Like I think they're going to be aggressive in exploring options, but there also needs to be an understanding that they just don't have a lot of assets to work with. Um, you know, they do have a first round pick this year, but they're not eligible to trade it. I believe yeah. they could offer a, a swap, uh, a future swap in a deal. They have some second round picks, but for the most part, like if I'm looking at a team need, I think it's a backup four, whether that's a four, three or a four, five uh, that can stretch the floor. I, I think that would be the biggest need because right now, like when Dean Wade is playing well and he's playing aggressive, He's giving them what they need, but that's not a given. And, and he does have an injury history as well. And if, if Dean is either not playing at the you know level that they need, or he gets hurt, you're stuck with George Niang, who uh, is helpful in some settings and in other matchups. That's going to be really tough against Milwaukee. You don't want George Niang out there defending Giannis, right? So yeah. I think that's going to be the the biggest focus for them. Um, 
point guard, I don't think is going to be as much of a concern. You hope that that Garland comes back. You hope that Ty Jerome comes back and, and are both able to, you know, play at the level that you'd expect them to. Craig Porter Jr. has been one of the best stories, and I, I think there's yeah. a real chance that he's going to get a uh, full NBA contract here uh, after the buyout of Ricky Rubio. Uh, Sam Merrill has been terrific for them and one of the heroes over this stretch, and I, I think has earned a spot in the permanent rotation, even one fully healthy. Uh, so I think they'll explore all options. And, you know, if there's an opportunity to to add someone, you know, um, if I'm looking at like realistic names that have been put out there that aren't going to be going for a first round pick, someone like an Isaiah Stewart maybe would, would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, I, I don't think the Cavs are going to be too aggressive. And on the Mitchell front, I don't think there's any chance anything happens there. Um, I think... You know, as much as there's talk of, oh, it's the worst kept secret that he's going to the Knicks and whatever, the Knicks just moved their best young assets in terms of like a salary matching standpoint. I know they have picks, but the Cavs aren't going to care about picks. No, yeah. no, like this is an era where picks have been incredibly devalued and those are heavily protected picks that would be attached to bad salary. Like, I, I think if the Knicks thought that Mitchell was coming there, they wouldn't be operating in the way that they have. Uh, I, I think... Basically, they've taken themselves out of the running at this point. And uh, you, you look at them being in the market for guys like DeJounte Murray. And I've seen Jordan Clarkson's name come up. Like, they wouldn't be looking at spending assets on a guard if they felt that was the case. So um, I, I think the Cavs are still in a very good position to convince Mitchell that this is the best basketball fit for him. Um, and I think the fact that they've weathered the storm and have the depth to weather a storm like this, even after a consolidation trade with him, is a really, really encouraging sign. No, absolutely. I I think that the best case scenario is that he stays, that they win, and that you just you continue to prove that small markets and mid markets are still capable of battling in these situations and you draft and develop in these situations, you be aggressive when you have to. And that is the best case scenario for, well, the alley-oop in general, because it's, this is what I like to cover with when you, when you cover all 30 <laughs> teams, I do not want to cover six teams. That's, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> so that's a, that's an important, I think that there will be some teams that go after Mitchell, like namely like the oh, Lakers yeah. and the Nets, but that's because he's really good. And yeah. I, I hope Cleveland can hold on to him and, and give him a reason to stay. And they're, they're, the reason should be pretty easy. Like this should be, should be a pretty good basketball fit. So Look, we'll see what happens. I guess we should probably wrap up with Ricky Rubio. Uh, the mm-hmm. really tough situation, obviously. He hasn't gone into all the details on exactly what has happened, but he just retired. Uh, can you give us uh, just a, a couple a couple lines on Ricky Rubio and what he meant to the Cleveland? Yeah, it's funny that someone can have the impact that he had in such a short period of time, uh, you know, playing a, a third of a season uh, w- with the Cavs in his first year before tearing his ACL and then getting traded to Indiana and then signing back. Um, but it, it's clear that he, he's someone that did have a profound impact in, in just a very short period of time. Um, seems like when, when you look at, you know, the reported terms uh, for the buyout and whatnot, this is uh, he did right by them and they did right by him. And there doesn't seem to be any hard feelings. So um, I think prioritizing your own mental health and understanding that there are limits um, that as much as you might have obligations to uh, whether it's your work, friends, family, or whatever, sometimes you do need to take that step back and and focus on yourself. And uh, it seems like Ricky has done this. I I hope that, you know, he continues to to be on a path of healing and that 
you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's uh, a future with him in, in Cleveland in some form in the uh, in the future, just because of the relationship that they have. But right now, the most important thing is him continuing to work on his own mental health and uh, continue to get to that place of healing. We will see what happens. I, I obviously he's an awesome player and has been a, a awesome person in locker rooms around the NBA. So deserves everything of the world. Hopefully he has a a good transition here if he does end up staying retired. But uh, yeah, wishing the best for Ricky Rubio, wishing the best for, for the Cleveland organization, obviously. I know that this has been a tough situation and hopefully everybody's dealing with it well. So we mm-hmm. will see. He is Justin Rowan, everybody, hosting for the Alley Oop here with the Chase Down podcast. He's been awesome. Love to talk to Justin, as always. Thank you so much, buddy, for, for hopping on. Let's chat again in six weeks, all right? Hell yeah, and hopefully the Cavs are finally healthier then. I, I, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood. I, I, I want to keep advancing. I, I want to be at least in third or fourth. Here, let's, let's, let's keep some positive momentum going. Moving on along. Appreciate you.